But today, I want to talk about, well, the unbelievable and the impossible. This is your year, I believe wholeheartedly, this is your year to believe the unbelievable and to receive the impossible. Everything God asks us to do in this life is unbelievable. Whether we understand it or not, everything he asks us to do in this life is impossible. In fact, if you open your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to read a list of impossibilities and unbelievable statements. You're going to read things that are so impossible and so unbelievable that just by their, near, their, their mere mention, there are folks that don't believe the Bible is true. There are impossible teachings throughout the Bible. There are impossible promises throughout the scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, there is an impossible revelatory knowledge that comes from the scripture that illuminates our hearts, uh, that is capstoned by the Holy Spirit, that gives us intimacy with the Father. It is absolutely unbelievable and impossible. Even Christ's birth, which we celebrated last week, is impossible and unbelievable. His death, even more so impossible and unbelievable that it would cap off uh, uh, hundreds of years of prophecy that the Jews were looking for. His resurrection, an absolute impossibility and something that told to one another in that ancient Near East culture would have been unbelievable. Everything that we know about the idea of Christianity goes beyond the natural belief set. It's all impossible. That's why it's called faith. That's why the Bible calls this a life of faith, that we live by faith, that we live by faith in the Son of God, that we live by faith as we serve Jesus. See, this church is not built on the idea of religion. We're not here to service religious duties and structures. Now, there's nothing wrong with some of the religious duties and structures that we see in other denominations and other church formats, but we're not here for that. We're not here just to have a religious service so you feel good about yourself when you leave and you can check off that you did your religious duty for the week. That's not the reason we come to worship and to gather. We come because we serve one person and his name is Jesus. We're not naturally bound to ordinary things. We are people who live supernaturally. We are those who live above the natural means and processes of this world. And we're continuing to learn and to investigate and to experience an extremely extraordinary God. He is more significant than we can imagine, and his word is more powerful than we would ever be able to grasp. He is unbelievable and impossible. He is an unbelievable and impossible working God. That is who he is. As we march into 2019, this needs to be our mantra, that we are going to believe the unbelievable and do the impossible. Not just for the church, but for you individually. There's one thing for the church to take ground. It's another thing for its congregants to take ground, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. And this year, like every other year in our last six years of ministry, I wanna encourage you and your families to go beyond the boundaries of believing things from a natural standpoint to bust out of your religious mindset or your religious-minded nature and to be someone who is more God-inward-centered or God-inside-minded. That we have a God who lives on the inside of us. We don't have a distant and far-off God that we serve. When we talk about a God that we love and we serve, we're not talking about a God that we can't reach, that we can't touch, that we can't talk to. We're not talking about a God who isn't there the moment we wake up and the moment we fall asleep. We're not talking about a God who is so distant that we have to get ourselves just in the right frame of mind in order to experience him. Some of us get trapped in our own religious constructs. 
We have to pray the right way. We have, to, we have to read the scriptures a certain way. We have to apply a certain religious standard. And then God will usher himself into our presence rather than understanding he's been there with you the whole entire time. When you didn't feel like he was there, he was there. When you didn't sense his presence, it was there. When you thought you were too bad to experience his love and his power and his grace, he was there. In every moment where you felt deeply unreligious, is probably the mark or the cornerstone for the most religious moment of your life if you would allow his presence to fulfill its destiny and impact your life in those moments. Grace Family Church was founded on a simple principle that our voices as believers matter. Our voices, our collective voices and our individual voices as believers matter. It matters what you say about the God you serve. We used to say it in a different way. When we first started the church, we used to say things like, we're changing the way the Quad City sees God. People didn't like that, so we had to rephrase some things. Because I got a lot of backlash from other pastors. I got a lot of, a lot of backlash from other churchgoers. That how are you going to change the way people see God? Well, most of us see God through religious, uh, a religious lens or religious scope. We don't see him for who he really is. And there's a reality to breaking that lens apart so we can see God face to face. Psalms chapter uh, Chapter 107 and verse 2, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But it's a scripture that Lori and I have prayed over the church to some degree or another since we founded the church. It says this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hands of the enemy. It's a very important scripture, something we read through quickly and might not grasp the total significance. But the author here is telling the reader that if you are the redeemed of God, you need to state it. You need to say who you are. You need to explain the effects of your redemption. That if you are the redeemed of God, you don't have to live sick. You don't have to live broken. You don't have to live impoverished. You don't have to live in one broken relationship after another. That if you are the redeemed of God, that you, as the scripture says here in Psalms 107 verse two, that you've been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. All of these negative impacts from the hand of the enemy, the world trying to tipsy-turvy your life so that you never experience God's best, you are redeemed from those efforts. That you are those who can stand surely on strong footing and say that I've been redeemed. I used to live this way. I was broken. I was sick. I was one who fell to nasty relationship cycles, but I've been redeemed. Learn to understand that the stated intention of your mouth sometimes becomes a marker of our character and who we are. It, learns, it starts to shape us as our subconscious learns to fall into play to the words that are coming out of our mouth most often. So we've heard stupid religious concepts like this. You're just a dirty old sinner saved by grace. The fact is you were a dirty old sinner, but you have been saved by grace. You are not that person anymore. When you are the redeemed of God, it's time to put that person to rest. The Bible literally says that that old man is dead, that it was dead in Christ. It's what's been sacrificed on the cross as you take up your cross. You sacrifice that dead man, but you raise to new life in Christ as we learn through much of the Old Testament yeah. or New Testament. I don't have time to go through all those scriptures. Saying so, saying who you are, speaking that you are the redeemed of God, knowing your status and station in Christ is very important. It speaks about our salvation it speaks about telling to others of what God has done in us and to talk to others about what God can do in them. Again, I don't want to get real theological and heavy today. That's not the point of this sermon. 
The point is to encourage us into 2019. But there is a doctrine that is floating around. It has a resurgence. It's an old doctrine. It's a stupid idea, and I can't, give, I can't even get you the whole idea as to why it's just so dumb. Most of you would agree with me if I had about an hour and a half to explain it. But I'm pretty good. I'm pretty persuasive, as my wife likes to say. Um, but, the all, but the idea is that it comes from this old theological concept called annihilationism, that a loving and gracious father would never let anyone experience hell for an eternity. That eventually, if, if, if you found hell after this life was over, if you were unlucky enough to find hell, that, you know, God would eventually just annihilate you as if you never existed. Poof, you're gone. If you watched Avengers, it'd be like that. You just dissipated into thin air. Unfortunately, that's not the truth of the gospel. Jesus said, did not create, God did not create hell for us. Hell was not created for us in any way, shape, or form. It was created for the devil and all of those fallen angels, now demons, that they would be encapsulated in hell for an eternity to pay for their sins and transgressions against God. They don't have a means of redemption. Yet God understood that anyone that would violate his edicts and orders that would go against him would be subject to the same penalty. And because he wanted grace and mercy to run our lives, he sent Jesus so that we could forego that eternal punishment. But what happens if when we believe screwed up doctrine like that is we lose sight of the idea that we need to be after people. We lose sight of the idea that people matter. We lose sight of the idea that eternal real hell should be a motivator for each and every one of us to go to our brothers, our sisters, our friends, our families, the barista at Starbucks, and say, listen, you need to know Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about some crazy religious fanatical way where we stand on some soapbox and scream in people's ear and hope to gain their attention, but a real urgency of the heart that says, God, if you put the right person in front of me, I'll, I'll speak the truth of the gospel. That if you'll put the right person in front of me with open ears and an open heart, that God, I won't be ashamed to speak this gospel, that Jesus Christ is the way to the Father that if you'll give me the opportunity, I'll speak the truths of the scripture. That's what it is for the redeemed of the Lord to say so, because the first thing we have to, we have to scream about, we have to talk about, we have to shout from the mountain, is that we are saved, that we are those who were broken and lost and dead in our sinful transgressions, yet Jesus rescued us, and now we know that heaven is our home when this life is over, and if you want the same assurance, follow Jesus. So the first thing that comes to mind when the redeemed say so is to understand their placement in salvation. You are not some dirty old sinner. You were that, but you have been saved by grace. The, the reason is because people matter. The reason behind our fight to say so, to say that we are the redeemed of God, to say that we are the healed of God, to say that we are the prosperous of God, to say that we are those whose relationships have been mended because Jesus is now in the middle is all because people matter. Your story matters. Your relationship to God matters. Your relationship to the Father and how that plays out in your life matters because it becomes a reflective point for others to look at what it might see, what they might see if they turn their life over to Christ. Not that you're perfect by any means, but your imperfections, as the scripture says, is where his strength is made most prominent. That we glory in our imperfections or our weaknesses because where I'm weak, he makes me strong. Our voices as believers matter. The word of God can change people's hearts. The word of God obviously gives us the platform to live forever in Christ. 
It changes us, and I know it changes us because it's changed so many here this morning. There was a gentleman who was at our first service who this year I had an opportunity to talk with his suicidal son. We sat in my office for hours, hours on hours on hours. And this kid was serious about contemplating suicide, and now he's putting on weight. He's starting to eat again. He's starting to live life again. He's got a new kick to his step. There's life in his eyes because he recognized that the life that he was about to give up didn't matter in its own, but the life that he could have received if only he would accept Jesus was a life of adventure that he wasn't willing to pass up. Believe the unbelievable, receive the impossible needs to be the mantra as you march into 2019. We have impossible and unbelievable stories that happen every year here in this church. Just a few months ago, some of you can remember, we got on the phone in a frantic state asking for prayer for Bill Munson, one of our elders, who was life-flighted because of a stroke, life-flighted to Iowa City. They weren't sure what was gonna happen. They weren't sure when they got there exactly what state he would be and they weren't sure if he would ever recover. They weren't sure if he'd make it through the flight. And I remember calling Scott and Lori calling other elders and, and there, was, there was definite fear around the situation. I'm not gonna lie. When something like that happens, there's real fear that wants to creep in. But we as a community of people and particularly elders at that time started to pray and pray for the needs of one of our congregants. We prayed that, the healing power of God we manifest in his life. We prayed that what the enemy meant for bad, that God would turn for the good. We prayed that his impossible situation would be turned around. And there's no doubt there were stomachs churning. And there's no doubt there were moments, even in faith, where we all felt the gravity of the situation. But Bill's here today. He'll be praying with people like he does every Sunday, ready to go back to work as soon as they'll let him. Think of the impossible thing that God wants you to do. And the reason I bring up his story and others are very simple. I don't want these to be once a year stories. I want these to be every week stories. I don't want these to be once a year stories where we celebrate that God did one thing here and there, not that they aren't great stories and not that we aren't incredibly glad to have Bill back into almost full function. But I want this to be something that happens consistently It's the drive of my heart, it's the drive of Lori's heart that you as a congregation would have your needs met, not because of something we've done, not because we're all that good, but because we serve a great God. We serve a God of the impossible. We serve a God of the unbelievable. That he takes impossible situations and crushes them like yesterday's news. There's nothing that stands in front of him that is impossible. And so this, this year, this 2019, what are you facing that's an impossibility? Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's impossible for you to start that business that you've always wanted to start. This is the year to do it. Maybe you're facing an impossible relational situation where you're at odds with someone and you can't find a common ground to come back to connection with. And God is saying it might look impossible. It might look improbable. It might be unbelievable if you spoke it. No one would believe you that could be reconciled, but the impossible and the unbelievable are where he works best. I don't know what's going on in your life and I don't know what dream you're holding to, but whatever that dream may be, whatever that impossible situation may look like, 2019 is the year. Now, I know I sound like a gimmicky uh, TV salesman trying to give you the latest fad to lose weight. Listen, I just saw one the other day that's awesome. Bollywood X. Bollywood exercise, man. You get, to, you get to dance like those Bollywood folks and lose weight. I'm all excited to watch the, the dancing. I have no interest in doing the activity, but I'll watch the dancing for entertainment value. 
Bollywood acts, man, you're gonna rip dabs in 30 days. I'm sure that's probably not true. But for most of us, that's how we view these New Year's resolutions. That's how we view the starting point for the next year. We look at it as TV fodder. We look at it as advertising fodder. They're just trying to get my money. And this is nothing about your money this morning. This is nothing about just getting you on the hook for another year. This is simply a factual truth of scripture that if we will allow and trust God that the impossible situations that are in front of us, the unbelievable accounts that could be our story could turn around in 2019, but we have to first place our trust in him. We need to remind ourselves of what Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 says. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make good? This is a definition of the God that we serve. He's not a man that he can lie. He's not a man like you and I that he can lie. It says that he doesn't have to repent. What it's saying is that he doesn't go back on his word. It's what it's saying is that he's not a man who can state something as fact or promise and then later on say, well, I couldn't live up to the standard. No, if he claimed it as a promise, if he said it as a standard, if he made a declaration, he has to, must stand by it. By nature of him being God, if you believe he's God, if you believe he's that celestial deity, if you believe he's Yahweh, if you believe Jesus is God in part, then you have to believe that if he were to ever go against his word, the entire fabric of this universe would fall apart and break because the one who knit it together with his true and undying statements can't then separate it with a lie. This is the God that we serve, that he cannot lie. So whatever he's spoken to you in 2019, you can take to the bank. Whatever promise he's spoken to you in 2019, you can take to the bank that it will come to pass because he cannot lie and he will not repent. He will not go back on his word and he has not misspoken. The question is, are you hearing him well enough to know what he's saying? When I started in the ministry, oh, what is it, 13, 14 years ago, I had a friend of mine who we graduated around the same time, and he decided he wasn't going to work. He was going to test his faith. He was going to test his relationship with God, and he just wasn't going to work. God was going to supply his needs. And he forgot the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't eat. So who, who what was God really speaking? Was God speaking contrary to the written word of God that he's Obviously not. This young man just wanted God to say something he didn't. Many times in our lives, we want God to say things that he didn't say. We have to be in tune enough to the voice of the Holy Spirit that we know what he said and that we can take to the bank. We don't take to the bank our wishes and wants of what God could say or we hope he has said. We take to the bank what he's actually said, what the promise actually is and how it lines up with the scripture. This young man had the fortune of being born into a very rich family and a dad who worked really hard, so he didn't go without for anything. But if he had maybe not been so blessed, not working in that summer that we had between college and the time that we got our real jobs, he probably would have starved to death or at least gone back to work and had to face the reality that what he thought he had heard might not have actually been the voice of God. This year, get the clutter out of your ears right? Get the wax out of your ears. Get the external voices out of your head. Learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. The first place to look is scripture. If the scriptures don't line up with your wanting, if the scriptures don't line up with your motivation, you probably got a good idea that it's not of God. 
But if you can find scriptural evident proof that this is what God has spoken, even if it wasn't directly to you, even if it's something that you think you can mirror off of another Bible character, you have a good footing to say this is the promise of God. Then learn to walk and work that out because he's not a man that what he stated he can lie about. In this world, in this world, you can have it. It's a done deal. There are, there are, uh, there are all kinds of formulas. You can have almost anything you want, whatever it is for you. In fact, we know that the rules and the laws of this world are so tight that we can send a ship into outer space and now Elon Musk is proving we can have that, that capsule come back and to be reused because the laws of this universe are so tight that we know how to do these things. But the laws of faith are no different. The laws of faith in our life are no different that if we'll hold tight to the laws of faith, if we'll hear the voice of God and that we'll obey it and we'll do what he says to do, that he will not lie if we'll do what God's called us to, then we can have the outcome that he's promised us. Set your mind on him and don't be afraid to stretch your faith. I can tell you this, God will never speak to you to do something that you could do in your own power. God spoke to us to do something, my wife and I, and it was beyond our power and ability. And we believe we had an opportunity to give everything, to lay it all down. We believe we've done that to some degree, but I don't know what it would look like if he asked us again. His word says that you can be out of debt. The Bible actually says it's better to be the lender and not the borrower. It actually says that the borrower is subject to the lender. It might be unbelievable in this day and age to believe that you can be out of debt, but you can. His word says that you can be healed. And it might feel impossible that sickness or disease that's in your body, it might feel impossible that you could get over that hurt that you could get over that sickness or disease, yet he is very true to his word that by his stripes you were healed. His word says that you can love your enemies. This is one I hate. Sometimes his word says things I don't like. <laughs> love your enemies. It's like, no, no, I don't want to do that. Or the one that I hate the most, and you've heard me say it, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm thinking, you take too long. We have a river. That's what it's for. Anyway, <laughs> the word says to love your enemies. Even those who it feels unbearable and unbelievable and impossible to love, he gives us the strength to love. You see where I'm going with 2019? That the impossible and that the unbelievable can be ours. God has more for you than you could ever. We need to learn to use our faith, to use our faith in him to get the good life that he set before us. Listen, when I say that, I'm not talking about it's all gonna be roses and padded petunia pathways. It can be difficult and hard in moments, but there's a reality to the goodness of God, to the good nature of God that he wants to express in our everyday life. I believe that this is gonna be an exciting year, and I also believe this is going to be a year where we hear shouts of joy for what God has done in our life. When we were on the phone and the, the elders were getting together and getting a prayer chain going together for Bill as he was struggling there and literally struggling for his life, there were shouts of joy at the end of that story that we weren't feeling in that moment of tension. There were shouts of joy that he and his wife have, have expressed to one another. And even though life isn't perfect and there's still things they're trying to figure out, there are still shouts of joy that were in that story that we weren't feeling in those moments of tension. Yet, God came through. 
Your life right now might not look perfect. It might look difficult. It might look hard. It might look like things are just not coming together. There are still shouts of joy in your future if you'll learn to listen to his voice and be motivated by the Holy Spirit and do what he's called you to do. I can hear shouts of joy over this church's future as a congregation, as you individuals. I can hear shouts of joy over my life and Lori's life and our family's life. I can hear these shouts of joy that it's coming. It's almost a prophetic thing for me to state as a pastor, but there are shouts of joy coming because we are giving ourselves over to his leading, to his guiding, to his motivation. Celebrate this new year with us by combining your faith with ours and by letting your voice be heard. We don't come in this door just to sing a few songs and hear a message. We don't come in this door just to do our religious duty week to week. We come in this door to connect with like-minded people of faith. We come in this door to connect with each other's faith so that when you're going through something and it's hard and it's difficult, that you have a brother or a sister who can shoulder your burden. That when you don't know the path to take, that there's someone in here who's been where you're at. When your marriage is in trouble, there are folks who have been here, their marriage has been through the ringer, and by the grace of God, they're still standing, and they can help you walk through it. When you come through that door and you're sick and your body hurts and aches, there are folks here who will pray with you, believe God with you, that you can and will be healed, when you are mentally distraught and depression is ravaging your day to day, there are folks here who have been where you are at. They can link faith with yours and you can overcome even some of the most difficult situations. 2019 is your year to believe the unbelievable and to receive the impossible. Now we can't just sit here and this be something that we hear about. We hear about somebody else's story. Don't let this be something that you just pray about and nothing really happens. It needs to be something that we pray about, but more importantly, it's something we talk about. That we start like a, like a vision board, the impossible and the unbelievable that we want to see happen for our life. That we place these markers somewhere around us and we start to speak it to others. If it's being out of debt, you start telling people you're going to be out of debt. That looks impossible in today's culture, but it's doable. If it's healing and you need healing for ailments and physical issues in your body, then start telling people you are the healed of God. Start taking your placement in him. You and I are made in the image of God and nothing, nothing is impossible with God. You and I are made in his direct image and likeness and nothing is impossible with God. Don't ever let someone convince you that you can't or you never will. I say this all the time and it's so true that I don't pay for can't. I don't pay for to hear what I can't do. If I have a professional in my life who's helping me with a situation, I don't pay for someone to tell me what I can't do. If there's a doctor who's telling you can't get, can't get better, you can't get healed, you can't get over the sickness, fire them and find someone who has hope. If there's a financial advisor who's telling you you can't get out of the financial situation you're in, fire them and find someone with hope. Don't ever pay for someone to tell you what you can't do. You can get what you can't do for free any day of the world. Don't allow yourself to be blocked in by other people's negativity. Understand that you serve a God who's bigger than can't do. And every time they told him he couldn't, he wouldn't, he shouldn't, it can't happen, he made the impossible come true. It's time for us to receive that impossible nature of our God. So many people spend their, their time uh, trying to become what they already are. 
But Jesus has already done the work on the cross. I don't have time to teach this. We taught it last year over uh, the Easter season. We taught the idea or the doctrine of Christus Victor, that Jesus Christ is the victory, that everything that he experienced, a death, burial, and resurrection, everything he experienced on that cross paved the way for our victory, that we are more than conquerors, meaning that whatever he conquered, the spoils of war that he was given are given to us, not because we ever stepped foot on a battlefield, not because we ever fired a shot, not because we ever came face to face with our enemy, but because the one who mastered the battlefield, because the one who beat the enemy, because the one who fired the killing shot is the one who gives us the spoils of war. That is what it means to be more than a conqueror. Most of us are still trying to fight the battle when it's already been fought and won. Most of us in our faith life are still trying to fight to be right. We're still trying to fight for placement. We're still trying to fight to prove ourselves. And Jesus is saying, hold up, I've already won the battle. Just learn to live in my victory. Learn to live in the space of his Christus victor, that he is Christ the victory, that we put him on in his nature and his nature is victorious. Redemption has made you strong. The redeeming power of God, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The fact that you can say you are the redeemed, the redemption has made you strong, but we need to learn to accept it. God has made you more than a conqueror. We need to learn to accept it. He loves you and has given you the ability to love others, even those who are unlovable, but we have to learn to accept it. You're a person of great faith. And nothing is impossible with you if you'll learn to accept it. Faith is not a fight to become something. It's an acceptance of what you already are. When you don't feel it, that's when it works the most. When you feel sick and you have to convince yourself and others that you're healed, that's when faith is stirred the most. When you are broke and you don't have a penny in your bank account and you're believing God to be prosperous and out of debt, that is the moment when faith kicks in the hardest. When you have a relationship in front of you that, that has been torn up and in tatters for years and you don't know how to reconcile it, that is when you speak to the good nature of that relationship. You speak to the mended moments in that relationship and you believe God will put it together. In this room today, there are folks who thought because of efforts of their own and efforts of others that their relationship would never be mended. And they're sitting here today knowing that God did a miracle not because they fought hard enough, not because they did all the right things, not because they, they, they did their religious duty, but because God has already won the battle, because Jesus is already victorious. We are made in the image and likeness of God and nothing is ever impossible with God. Nothing is ever impossible with God. It's time we open up our hearts and do what's necessary so that the impossible promise of God becomes our promise, so that the impossible task that's in front of us becomes a task that we can conquer, and so that the impossible dream that we have of our future becomes a reality, not someday far off, but this year, this month, this week, that we start to claim and understand that what God set in front of us as a promise is real if we'll reach for it, if we'll go for it. As I said before, we're not a religious church. This isn't a religious structure where we do religious things. But many of us have a religious mind that keeps us bound up. It keeps us boxed up. There are some of us that think 
that every day we have to pray a certain way and it becomes a religious activity that keeps you from experiencing God. There are some of us that believe we have to read our Bible a certain way at a certain time every day and do this devotional a certain way and it keeps us from a reality of knowing God. There are some of us that are so bound to our religious structures because they prove to us that we are worthy of what he's already won, what he's already fought the battle for, what he's already given to us. Listen, I'm a pastor, I'm all for prayer. I'm all for reading your Bible. But if it's keeping you from knowing him and knowing you're the redeemed of God and knowing that it's not of your power and knowing that it's not of your own efforts and knowing that it's not of your own merit, then stop it. Stop it. Do something different. If your prayer time is just to prove to God how holy you are, stop it. Don't do it anymore. Don't do it the way you're used to doing it. Change it up. Maybe quit for a week and see what happens. Get to know him on a personal level and not just a way where we throw up asks and wishes and wants and hopes he catches a few of them. Learn to know him intimately and deeply for the character and nature of who he is. Listen, if there's anything in your life that keeps you from totally trusting God, put it away. Mark chapter 10 and verse 27, we've got to hurry up. This is, Jesus, uh, uh, this is a story about a rich young ruler and it says, uh, with men it's impossible, but with God but not with God, for with God all things are possible. This is Jesus speaking to a rich young ruler. This was a very rich young man. And he had set out to ask a question to God and the God that was wrapped in human form in Jesus. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, this rich young ruler asked this question, good master, what shall I do that I will inherit eternal life? The Bible tells us the rich young ruler was kneeling on the ground before Jesus as he was getting taught from this son of God. Looking up at Jesus is when we hear the answer. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 19, Jesus says, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, uh, defraud not, honor your father and your mother. Now he was looking into the face of God when he responds in verse 20. And he says, master, I have kept and observed all of these since my youth. This is the greatest lie ever in ever in the scripture, probably ever in human history. He's looking up at God incarnate as he's teaching. He's teaching the group of people. A rich young ruler asks, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at the young man and says, because he knows the young man's heart and says, listen, if you've done all these things, if you kept all of the law, then you're good. You're golden. In fact, that, that tradition still stands till today. I, I've, know, I've known a lot of teenagers as my wife and I did youth ministry for many years. He says he kept them even in his youth. He's a liar. He exaggerated, maybe a little bit, but that makes you a liar. I'm sure he didn't honor his father and his mother perfectly in his youth, because I know I didn't. I'm sure he never got heated in a moment of argument with his father or his mother and defamed them, either in his mind or in his heart. But you know what? God let this pass. Jesus let this pass, even though we know he's outright lying to the Son of God. Jesus lets it pass for a moment, and then he says this. Okay, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. He looked at him, and he loved this young man. He saw, he saw worth in this young man. It blessed Jesus to look into the face of the one who cared so much about God. He cared religiously about doing the right thing. Then Jesus said to him, one thing that you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. 
and come, take up your cross and follow me. Now, normally when people encounter Jesus, he doesn't, he, he doesn't do this thing about taking up your cross and following him. That was only for the select few. That was only for the disciples. That was only for the inner circle. Most folks are told this, go and tell. Go and tell people what you've seen and heard. Go and tell people what you've experienced. I want to build the, the awareness of the group. Go tell people what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced, and draw more followers. But there was a select few where he said, take up your cross, follow me, come with me. He saw the potential in this young rich ruler. Could have been one of the 12. In fact, he would have screwed up a lot of people's doctrine and numerology, and it would have made it the 13 and not the 12. This rich young ruler could have been there when he spoke to the masses. This rich young ruler could have been there when Jesus healed the sick. This rich young ruler could have been there when Jesus was raising the dead. Yet the one thing he trusted, because it wasn't about money, it was about trust. The one thing he trusted he couldn't put aside. And Jesus spoke to the heart of the matter, even though he knew the, the young man was exaggerating. They had kept all the tenets of the law, even through, his, even through his youth. He knew he had to be exaggerating. He looked at the young man, and even if he wasn't, said, there's still something hidden in your heart. It's trust. The thing that marks you is your wealth. The thing that you trust more than anything is your wealth. The thing that gives you security more than anything in this world is your wealth. Give that security up. Follow me. Take up your cross. Be one of my inner circle. Be one that experiences the miracles and the presence, the power of God. But he wouldn't do it. He passed on being one of the 12. He passed on being one of the inner circle. He passed on recognizing that God was in flesh. He believed he was the Messiah because he looked at him and said, Master, meaning that he understood his claim. I believe him to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come to redeem the world. So what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he gives him the law, which he was very familiar with. He said, listen, I know you love the law. Jesus could see the love of God in his eyes to keep the law. And he said, but there's one thing hidden in your heart. It's trust. Of all the gifts that Lori and I are ever given, all of the gifts that the ministry has ever given, the greatest gift anyone's ever given us is trust. It's trust, not money, not stuff, trust. The greatest gift that we give our Father is trust. That beyond our security, that we give him our trust. That whatever he says to do, we do it. Wherever he says to go, we go. Whatever he says can be ours in faith through the promises of God, we accept as ours. We quit, we quit trying to fight the fight. We quit trying to make it happen on our own efforts. Say, God, I trust you. I trust you. To believe the unbelievable and receive the impossible takes trust. Unadulterated trust. As you move into 2019, this is the word that should hang over your, over your bedpost. This is the word that you should read every day. This is the word that you should commit to every day. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. It's hard, it doesn't look right, it doesn't look like it's working out well. God, it doesn't look like it's favorable to my situation, but I trust you. God, this is not the direction I thought I would go. This is not the advancement I thought I would take. I trust you. God, I don't get it. I don't get why it's working out this way, but I trust you. If we're to be the redeemed, to say so, to stand in a station of redeemed, to know who we are in faith, in God, to take that placement, not because we fought the battle and won, but because he's done everything for us. If we're to live in that space, it's out of trust. Every time we return to the battle and try to win it for our own sake, it's because we lost trust. 
Every time we try to pray to make something happen and to encourage God to do something good on our behalf, rather than sit and trust in him, we lost trust. Every time we try to give to motivate God to do something for us, we lost trust. All of these things are good behaviors, reading scripture, praying, giving, sowing of your time, energy, efforts, and resources, but they mean nothing if they're not motivated first by trust. 2019, if you're gonna experience the unbelievable, if you're gonna receive the impossible, it will happen because you trusted him. In my life, in your life, the life of this congregation, the greatest thing we can do, the greatest gift we can give him is our trust. So this morning, I wanna encourage you, trust him. I don't know what he's called you to do. I don't know individually what he's called you to do. Don't ask me, I'll pray with you, but he's gotta to talk to you. Don't ask me to read the tea leaves and find out the history and the, and, the, and the future for your life. I don't know what that looks like. That's between you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But trust him. You can hear his voice. It's scary. It's hard. It's clearing your mind of the clutter. It's understanding that he speaks loudly when he wants to call and draw us. But understand that he speaks. He'll speak to you. He's not a God that's far off. Trust him when you hear it. You're going to goof up. You're gonna mess up and go, I thought that was God, and it's not. You're gonna goof up and say, I thought that was him, and it wasn't. It's okay. It happens. It happens to the best of us all the time, every day of the world. But trust him when he calls you. Trust him when he calls you out from where you are into an impossible situation, because the end of that is greatness. This young man could have experienced the great things that we read about from all the disciples that he passed because he couldn't trust. Believing that Jesus was the Messiah, he passed because he couldn't trust. Today, make the opportunity to trust. Will you pray with me?